Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hello everyone, here is Daniel with uh, another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with Stefan uh, Rector and uh, he's from New York, US and uh, today we will discuss a really interesting topic which is the bridge between e-commerce and uh, the world of retail and I talk to many e-commerce stores who are at a certain level and they want to get started with retail, with, with brick and mortar stores or maybe get into Walmart or some kind of big uh, retail chain. And today we will discuss these and uh, even more. Um, hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Daniel? Yeah, everything is great. Just having a nice Friday evening here in Europe. It's already evening. Um, so we always start with some personal story. We are really curious about the background of uh, everyone and, you know, most people, they didn't learn or study um, marketing uh, at the university. So I'm really curious, what's your background and how did you um, end up in the world of retail and e-commerce? Yeah, it's kind of funny because it, it, the same thing is w- with me. I went to university and I have my degree in political science and international relations. So um, nothing at all in- involving retail, really. However, I think that some of the things that I learned by studying political science and, and, and that is that, you know, you learn how to communicate both in terms of writing a lot of papers, giving a lot of presentations, um, all that type of thing. So it definitely um, has, I've u- utilized a lot of the skills that I learned while I was at university throughout my entire career. But um, how I ended up in retail was really, it, again, back when I was in college, we I was working full-time as well as going to school full-time. So, and I was working at the local shopping mall in my in the, t- the town where I was studying. And I was the manager of a, a music store, like a, like that would sell, that, that, that don't really exist anymore, that sell like, you know, CDs and that type of thing. And yeah. anyway, like whenever I was um, getting ready to graduate from college, I was looking for, for a job and, most of the most of the companies that were most interested in me were retailers because of my background um, working at the shopping mall. So anyway, um, I ended up, you know, working at a local department store in the middle of the United States that event that is now make part of Macy's department stores, which is the largest department store chain in, in the United States for those people listening <clears throat> out in the rest of the world. Um, and, and basically moved around the country working for them, um, both in brick and mortar and then eventually in e-com when I moved to New York City. So I was um, a leader at, at Macy's.com for a couple of years and then um, also running the whole omni-channel um, portion of a, a category of business for the company before I left. Um, you know, since then, I've been doing a lot of different consulting projects. Um and I've done some work in China. I've done work with um, brand firms, media firms, and and mainly on the digital side, learning you know on e-commerce. But still have that 
both the relationships and also the understandings of how retail at brick and mortar works and how they really both can kind of merge together for brands, especially now where, where, where both, where stores are open, but people are using their phones and, or, you know, on the web, looking at people's uh, websites and that type of thing and how those things can kind of really do connect and interconnect. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's 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 a great story. I think let's go through one by one the main aspects of both the e-commerce and the retail. So, um, yeah, let's start with with traffic. So, let's say food traffic and PPC, right? So, uh, with with simple words, um, how would you compare these two? How how is it different in e-commerce? Most brands they usually you know, throw money into the machine, Facebook ads, Google ads. Uh, of course, there is SEO influencers as well. And they have a good return ideally on their money. And uh, it's pretty straightforward. How, how about retail and, and brick and mortar? It's, it's not as straightforward and as easy to see, you know, when you're measuring foot traffic. I mean, there's there are like foot traffic counters and that type of thing, but that doesn't show who's actually looking at the merchandise and the product and, and whatnot. Um, like if you think about going into a Target or a Walmart or that type of thing, but what you do get versus, um, you know, PPC and stuff, you do get that customer that is like going through the aisles and looking around and finding things where you potentially could get that customer that wasn't being specifically targeted towards to make that purchase like you do uh, through Facebook or SEO or PPC and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard the story, I think, last year that Amazon uh, has a few brick-and-mortar stores now, and they really try to implement uh, this mindset that exists in online marketing, that they use a lot of cameras everywhere, and they measure the conversion of the of the shelves, and they measure everything. It's super data-driven, and it was really interesting. That That might be the future. Um, yeah, I mean, Amazon has a few stores throughout the country where essentially they, you don't even need to, there's no checkout. You just put, you put things into your, your bag yeah. or your shopping cart and it's automatically charging your credit mm-hmm. card attached to your Amazon account um, automatically. And then you just walk out the door with your groceries. So it's basically no, uh, no, you go in for, get what you want and then you leave without having any interaction with a, with another person. Um you know, Amazon looks to be ro- opening up grocery stores very soon here in the United States. And it'll be interesting to see what that whole looks like differently than what they did with the whole food. They took a lot of learnings from the whole foods acquisition, yeah. but creating an entirely different experience and uh, really store with this whole Amazon. There's not even, I don't believe there's a name for you, Amazon food or what have you, but they're definitely in that business and really frankly using probably using the data that they're getting from the Amazon platform to determine like what type of assortment they're going to put in that location based on what people have been buying online and that type of thing. So, so again, it's that like when we talk about the whole like um, omni-channel experience, I mean, there is that whole thing between what's, what people are buying, you know, on the platform versus what they would end up buying in stores and how does that kind of again connect it's all that like that interconnectivity between yeah. the two different ways of shopping yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about uh 
brand awareness in retail. So how is it different compared to online? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's 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 harder to get brand awareness just in store because you're competing against so many other brands that people are already familiar with. I mean, if you think like, again, if you're like, if you're thinking about a category like paper towels or something, that's, there's just these key brands that have been around for a long time to try to, if you were a, a paper towel company that was trying to disrupt things, like you would, you would need to get brand awareness, I think online first and through uh-huh. social and all those types of things before even trying to enter uh the brand or enter a retail store because you just would not. And frankly, the buyers of the, at those retailers wouldn't even probably be interested in it unless they knew that there was some sort of brand awareness online first. I mean, I think that when you look at some of the brands that have been successful being online first and going into stores, I like use an example like Harry's, like, um, you know, shaving products and that type of thing you know, they have a relationship with Target now. And I mean, that business is quite strong, but the only reason that Target was even interested in them to begin with was because they had such brand awareness online through Instagram and, and PPC and all that type of thing. So it's, I feel like, you know, it's much easier for, listen, it's, it's, it's hard to, to break through uh, online as well, because there's so many, uh, brands out there competing for the, the all the same eyes, but I feel like you got to like start there first before you go into the retail uh, landscape. Yeah, and I think this is definitely the path what uh, most brands take nowadays. Maybe can you name any brands who started uh, offline and they they got into Target and Walmart uh, without much online presence? I, I, I couldn't name any, to be honest. No, I mean, it, it, the, the only brands that that start at those stores that may eventually go online that are are their own brands that they created themselves. You know what I mean? Like that you, would, you didn't realize that was a brand created by Target, you know, that all of a sudden yeah. you see the online or they're, or they're actually marketing it separately um and directing it back to target.com that type of thing um i can't i can't think of any other brands either that started at this point mm-hmm. really started at retail first um maybe maybe in the food and be- food and food and beverage but even when you when i think about the hot food and beverage brands it's they usually have an online presence too yeah yeah exactly they also work with a few and they are online and yeah, they, they are not really planning to go offline at this moment. So, right. it's, hmm? sorry? No, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's just interesting, really, because, you know, food is the thing what I would expect to be offline. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but still, uh, that's not the case. So it's really interesting. Um, and I, I think e-commerce is a huge opportunity nowadays. Um, and it can offer brands a fast growth curve for sure, especially mm-hmm. if they are competitive, they understand performance marketing online. Um, however, when I talk to bigger brands and companies and they hit like 50 million a month or nine figure, sorry, uh, 50 million a year or, or, uh, or nine figure revenue a year, there is a ceiling, uh, with Facebook mm-hmm. and, and Google ads. And, uh, for some reason, these big platforms, they don't track uh, the monopoly uh, 
in terms of you know the uh, advertisers they they want everyone to be to be there uh and to make it easy to get started i also heard this from several people and and experts um while probably offline is is easier if you want to have a real monopoly situation in your industry um i don't know do you have any thoughts on this or or could you see something similar well i mean i think the thing about it is is that what, what you're saying is correct like there's only in a few instances where if you you're only your own website you can go up into like hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenue i mean eventually you've got to find other places to do business to continue to scale. And I think that that's what a lot of these brands are now recognizing mm -hmm. is that they have to develop these partnerships with other retailers to get more eyes on their, their products. So a good example of this would be Casper mattresses. I mean, Casper mattresses, you know, what before was basically a direct consumer brand, but, but then they had their own retail stores too. But at this point they have partnerships with target with, Bed Bath and Beyond and other many other retailers because they recognize that in order to continue to scale, you have to have as many eyes on your product as possible, and that's not only online but offline in store too. So you're you're absolutely right. It gets to the point where if you're particularly if you're getting funding from from private equity or venture capital, you've got to continue to show these explosive growth. I mean, the only way you can do that is by by going to these pla other places to for customers yeah. to see your merchandise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, what what is their current revenue number? Do you know? I'm, I'm because I heard about them like two almost two years ago. Back then, it was like three hundred million, I think, a year. That's yeah, that's where they were at. I think in revenue. I'm not sure where they're at now. If it, I mean, it's it hasn't grown explosively though. It's not like it's doubled or anything like that. But I think that they still are showing a little bit of growth. But yeah, it's, it was around 300 million. I think when they went public. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other really interesting uh, company or fascinating company for me is Gymshark, mm, and yeah. uh, I think their evaluation is now uh, over a billion. Mm -hmm. So their revenue not yet, but. Uh, I read this idea that they, I think, the, the, so the founder, I think his name is Ben. He has a YouTube channel and he shares a lot of things there. And he said that uh, they want to open stores, physical stores, where there will be gyms and you can try the equipments, the, the clothing. So it's a very interactive way of uh, selling things. Um so it's just really interesting. They want to make it as an experience for the shoppers, basically. Totally. I mean, and I think that that is another way to get customer, you know, acquisition and customer sales from customers by creating that experience. I mean, not every brand can do mm -hmm. that on their own. That's why you have to have partnerships with some other retailers. But a brand like Gymshark, even like, like I was saying with Casper at the beginning, when they had their own stores where you could go lay on the mattress, kind of like... It, take a nap, that type of thing. So same type of, same type of process, but it is, it's about having that connection with the customer when it comes to that experience is very, very important as well, which you can't, which you yeah. can't necessarily do online either. You know, you can't try on the clothes, you can't work out in them online, you know I mean? So it is, there is that opportunity to, to have that connection again in, in real life. Yeah, I totally agree. And, 
especially when the staff is uh, well trained. Here in uh, Europe, we has a we, we have a supplement brand. It's called Biotech. It's called mm-hmm. Biotech USA, and they are not from the US. They are from Hungary. Uh, but their branding is is uh, they just know that the the name USA is is, is good for branding, mm-hmm. and uh, their staff is really well trained. They know they they have a certification, and they are very proud of that. And uh, they really really understand the products. Last time I checked, like fifteen supplements, and the guy told me something about each. So oh, wow. I was I was amazed by by them. Um, so it's like you know human connection basically yeah totally totally uh, l- let's talk about the financial parts of of retail so how about that one so this is what i heard from uh, someone in the past um so with online basically you have your margin and if you sell more you will have kind of the same margins but with retail there is a lot of fixed cost and below a certain food traffic a number of customers you lose money but once you have enough people coming in you have exponentially growing uh, profits so because of the lot of fixed costs and i don't know i never <laughs> had a retail business so i'm curious what you think um I, you know what it, it depends on the category of business that you're talking about like different categories have different margin margin expectations from a retailer number one I mean, when you go back to when talking about e-commerce, I think that the thing for in a direct to consumer business, really your costs are how much it costs to produce the merchandise. You know, you're managing the website and then the shipping the goods out and then that marketing expense. I mean, those are really the, the key, key expenses that you've got there. And if you can figure out if you can get enough brand awareness where you can keep your marketing costs down low, I mean, your margins can be so, so high in a direct, in a direct business. I mean, I know brands that can yeah. be in the seventies and 80% if they are doing it right when it comes to, again, manufacturing the goods correctly, and then also marketing them at very um, profitably too. Now, when you do business with a retailer, you're working with a retailer, you don't have, you, their expectation in many cases is that you're going to support marketing, you're going to support uh, and that could be where it where it's sit, sitting on a shelf, or it could be them paying for um, uh, paying for like their ads or that type of thing too. But but you should all but you should when you're when you're when you're starting to think about doing business with um, a retailer, you got to think about your margins because it can be very costly if you don't if you're not planning things out correctly. You know what I mean? Like so, you need to understand how much it truly costs to make your merchandise before you tell the retailer how much it is, how much they're going to buy it for. Otherwise you could really hurt yourself um, from a profitability perspective. So you have to bake in a lot of, they are fixed costs. You're absolutely right. But you bake that all into the cost that you're selling it into the retailer. Otherwise you will not be successful at all. Yeah. 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 What is an average percentage that uh, these big chains ask for? It really depends. I, it dep- every retailer has a different, and 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 this is with Amazon, you know, as well. Amazon asks for these these types of uh, um, percentages too. It can range anywhere between five and twenty five percent. So mm-hmm. 
you really have to put that, make sure you're putting that into your cost of, it's, it's essentially just another expense, but you want to make sure you're yeah. putting that in for each retailer. So you are protecting yourself um, on the back end in case the, the merchandise doesn't sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you see these uh, D2C brands that they get brand awareness through Walmart or Target and these big chains and uh, they really build up their returning customer base and the best customer base through their website or their own stores? Because this uh, this is what I could imagine as a strategy, but I'm not an expert about this, so... No, I think like it can it can turn into like a, a very very successful business. Again, I know, like when I think about like Harry's and some again that that brand and some of these other D 2 C brands that are doing m- many of these brands are doing more now in retail than they are direct. Which mm-hmm. again, when you're like looking at it financially, you just have to blend it appropriately to make sure that you're making money for your for your brand. But it can be very very successful, and I think that. There was a time during COVID where people were really pulling back because they didn't feel like that was where customers were shopping and that type of thing, mainly because they couldn't. But now that retail has reopened and people are seeing foot traffic back in, everyone is think, rethinking that whole strategy about like where, what, what, who should our partners be? How big could it be? And how do we make it work? And so it's all about making, you know, running the numbers and, But they, but you could, can be very, very successful with it, 100%. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's imagine that I have an e-commerce store, and uh, you know, let's say we sell skincare products, um, mm-hmm. and you know, we are building our brand in the U.S. and we achieve a certain level, and we want to get into Walmart or or Target. I don't know if they sell skincare products, by the way, Target. Uh, they do. Yeah. So, or or CVS as well. Yeah, CVS so, is another place. So you know, we want to get into a big chain, and and what should I do there? I guess I really need a good network, right? You do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I I will say there are people that specialize in helping brands get into these key retailers. You know, I you if you you can definitely go on LinkedIn and search for people that are. Walmart experts, Amazon experts, what have you. And they're the ones that can be like, they're almost like gatekeepers that can help people understand how to um, enter into those types of um, relationships and partnerships. Um, but you're right. It's the, the networking thing is so critical um, in order to get into um, places or into retailers because the buyers don't, The buyers, some if if a brand is really hot, the buyers will potentially reach out to them. You know what I mean? If they if they see a brand that's low, they're like, oh wow, we need to go after this in a big way. They could potentially be doing the reach out in the reverse, and you know, same thing going on LinkedIn and trying to find someone from that brand. But um, it is critical to like have a have a broad network of people here in the in the United States in order to um, break through some of those um, barriers because. That's probably the biggest, there's two biggest, the two biggest challenges of doing business with retailers is A, making sure that you're managing your costs correctly to be profitable and B, just getting, breaking the wall to get through to them. And then other than that, it can be quite, um, quite successful. But those, I mean, but, but, but those are two both very challenging things to uh, have to work yeah. through. Yeah, it totally makes sense. 
Okay, that's really interesting that uh, there are experts in this field as well, and you don't have to directly go to Walmart, but you can get these experts and they can help you out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, does it happen that customers they ask for uh, they ask Walmart that uh, hey we want to see this brand in Walmart because it's so amazing? Well, what what what's happening now is the retailers are really using the data from the search bar online and so if they're finding if, if people are searching for a brand and they don't mm-hmm. have it, then they uh-huh. like, they're like oh wow we need to we need to have this in our assortment so i think yes i think i'm sure there is still that more traditional way of people requesting things in store and maybe a store manager filters it up through the the chain of command internally but i yeah. think really the real place to do it is through the search bar and where people where there's missed search opportunity and looking at those brands as places that they should be researching and to potentially reaching out to and doing business with. Yeah, totally makes sense. Is there any other advice you would give to e-commerce store owners who want to get into these retail chains and get connected with them? Yeah, I mean, I just, again, I think that it's just, the biggest thing is to look through your network and see who, where potential connections could be to help you, number one. And then again, I, 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 go back to the whole like profitability part of it. You just have to be very, very um, judicious in terms of looking at your costs and your fixed costs and what those look like and how to control that before you're ready to present to the retailer, because the retailers are going to be aggressively pushing the costs down as much as possible. Yeah. And then the other, then the other one other thing to it, and this is important. I should have mentioned this before. Understand who your competitors are in that store before you even think about a presentation. So it's just like looking at in terms of, in terms of both price point in terms of what your category is and what the brands are around you. What's your point of differentiation? Really think about all those types of things first and have those mapped out because that's part of um, your presenting the opportunity to the retailers. So, and what, where there is like white space, to mm-hmm. enter into that store. Interesting. Uh, one more question came to my mind. So um, there are multiple retail chains and I'm sure there is a big competition between them. And let's say I have a brand and it's really, you know, customers like it, they search for it on uh, on different retail chain websites. And uh, can I maybe create some competition between these retail chains that they want uh they want to be the first to have my brand in their stores. Is it, can it happen or? or? Well, it, it is, it can definitely happen if your brand is hot and hot and popular enough, for sure. I mean, there, there could definitely be uh, a, a competition between those retailers in terms of which one is going to end up, which one you're going to go with. Um, you know, and, and, and again, each one has their, has a, pros and cons in terms of what, of doing business with them as well. But yeah, 100%, I think that that's part of it is to try to figure out how to create this competitive um, landscape for your brand that, um, that retailers are so interested in it. I mean, I think less about like the big box chains, but like with department stores and um, like, I think of like Macy's versus like a Sephora or uh, an Ulta beauty and that type of thing. If you're a new um, skincare company or, or a beauty brand, um, how do you create buzz and excitement for your brand that all three of those people want your product? And then 
potentially one of them might want an exclusive one of them and you might want to give that exclusive to them for a certain amount of time but then it's just but then that creates this sense of energy and excitement amongst the other retailers which gives you much more potential demand which later on could be make it make your brand even more explosive yeah yeah makes sense i'm always a big fan fan of uh, flipping the script instead of uh, chasing these big retailers you rather want to create competition between them yeah. because uh, then you get into a much better position. But totally. of course, you have to get there uh, with a really hot brand, as you said. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So thank you, Stephen. Uh, it was very insightful today. Um, thanks for answering all of these questions. And uh, every Thursday, we come out with a new podcast episode. And uh, we have live streams uh, during the week when we record this podcast. Uh, thanks, everyone who listened uh, to us today. And uh, thank you, Stephen, again. Maybe one more thing. So if anyone wants uh, um, to find you, where they can find you, you, where they should go. Yeah, definitely find me You find me on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to reach out. And if anyone has any need, has more questions, I'm happy to, happy to go into more detail on... Um, anything that we've discussed. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks again. And uh, thanks everyone. Take care. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal, grow your e-commerce business together.